As Ruth mentioned, uh, we're going to be uh, exploring uh, the letter that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, um, over the next number of weeks. I've decided to, um, to shift gears a, a bit away from, uh, away from Romans. It didn't seem really appropriate for uh, us to keep uh, forging ahead with Romans. 1 Peter has a, a message, I think, that, uh, that will speak to us. It's a message, I think, of, uh, as she said, a message, uh, as Ruth said, a message of, of hope. But more than hope, I think uh, what, um, uh, what Peter wants us to do is to understand what it means for us to live the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our daily lives. And he writes that to people who are um, dispersed, uh, people who are uh, scattered throughout uh, um, an area of northwest Turkey, uh, what we would know of as northwest Turkey. And so um, I hope that as we hear First Peter over the next few weeks, uh, we'll become more and more clear on what it means for us in this, um, this time of uh, difficulty, this time of challenge, this time when we are uh, sometimes scattered and isolated, what, what it means for us to live the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to be reading together from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the gold of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who've preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. We're living in days when questions about what the future holds swirl all around us. We've canceled important events, we can't make plans. We wonder how many birthdays or anniversaries we'll have to celebrate in isolation. Will lost jobs return? Will there be customers when the stores reopen? Will school return in the fall? The only predictable part of our lives is stay home, wash your hands, keep your distance. Well, the Easter season deals in unpredictable 
The resurrection of Jesus shows us a God who doesn't play by our rules. Jesus' resurrection, the bedrock of our faith, celebrates a God who's outside of our control. Life's like that. Much of life is beyond our control. Like trials. Different kinds of trials can jump into our lives. Peter even admits that. Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You can be sure the disciples suffered grief. They'd invested everything. When Peter was with Jesus traveling around Galilee, he had said, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. When they woke up that first Easter, they had nothing but a dead teacher buried in a borrowed grave. And even when news of the resurrection began to greet them, they weren't sure what to make of it. The earliest versions of the Gospel of Mark ended with these words. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When life is out of control, fear isn't far behind. And the fear didn't end with the resurrection. Just when his followers figured he would restore God's kingdom, Jesus ascended to heaven. He left, and the disciples faced challenges that didn't abate. After Jesus' ascension, the religious leaders tried to censure the disciples whenever they taught about Jesus' resurrection. Peter was, was arrested more than once for openly teaching about Jesus. And early Christians faced persecution. Peter writes this letter to Gentile Christians who faced social ostracism and verbal abuse in their communities. He speaks to them as a people without a homeland, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They faced the trial of being treated like aliens in their own land. Now we too face our own times of trial. Maybe we aren't burned at the stake or fed to lions, but sometimes our lives spin out of control. Many Christians may wonder what faith has to offer when pandemics attack. Life has suddenly crashed down around us. We've bumped up against the reality of life beyond our control. This tiny virus invaded our nation, our state, our lives, and life gets toppled on its head. doesn't matter if you're inside or outside the church. Business owners scramble to find a way forward. Families are on high alert for the well-being, particularly of older parents. We can't even gather for worship. We feel displaced as a church. One of the the central means of our identifying ourselves has suddenly been thrown into jeopardy. What we've discovered is that life doesn't always go according to our plans. I think, for example, of Bruce and Joyce Personaire. They were getting ready for retirement. In 2015, Bruce left his long-term position as pastor at Escalon Church. Joyce left her teaching position at Ripon Christian. They ventured out to serve interim church positions in Texas, Michigan, New Mexico. And then just a few months ago, Joyce discovered she had cancer, and she died April 13. And now Bruce's future has no Joyce. Life doesn't always go as we expect. Sometimes we figure that following Jesus should benefit our lives. 
That we should come out on top. Life doesn't work that way. Trials come. Even faithful Christians, says Peter, suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But there's more to life in Christ than trials. Christ's resurrection brings us new life. Peter wants us to know that the resurrection of Jesus means a brand new life for us. Eugene Peterson translates 1 Peter 1 verse 3 like this. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. A brand new life. Born all over again. Peter wants everyone who faces trials to know that the resurrection is the foundation of our new life in Christ. Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead changes everything. I mean, just think, none of us would be convinced that a band of demoralized, beleaguered, disgraced, and scattered disciples would become a a mighty power that shook the very foundations of the Roman Empire because spring flowers bloomed. Or because the Easter bunny brought chocolates. Peter, the disciple who denied Jesus, had his whole life turned around because Jesus was raised from the dead. And T. Wright explains, We're left with the conclusion that the combination of empty tomb and appearances of the living Jesus forms a set of circumstances which is itself both necessary and sufficient for the rise of early Christian belief. The resurrection of Jesus brought new life to all who encountered it. The sad women who came to the tomb were convicted enough to become the first preachers of the resurrection. The, The doubting Thomas, who couldn't believe that Jesus was alive, fell to his knees before the resurrected one, confessing, My Lord and my God. The disciples who dealt with the hopelessness of Jesus' death by by taking up their old job of fishing became the army of God declaring and living the Christian life. People are so amazed that the early church grew exponentially. And Peter, Peter, the disciple who denied Jesus, who refused to acknowledge that he knew Jesus, became a shepherd of this flock. The risen Lord Jesus Christ turned Peter's world upside down. Just read the New Testament book of Acts. Repeatedly, the followers of Jesus Christ became a resurrection force in the world. They left everything because they experienced a new birth, a new life in Jesus. The disciples were were willing to relinquish their dependence on anything this world believes brings life. They gave up security, power, wealth. They surrendered their careers, their loved ones, even their lives. The disciples discovered the angel's announcement changed their lives. He's not here. He's risen. Barbara Brown Taylor says, if we merely surround the Easter message with daffodils and write peace and love on it, We've robbed the angel's announcement of its world-overturning power. 
The resurrection, the bedrock of Christian faith explains everything. The resurrection of Jesus caused Christianity to flourish. The resurrection of Jesus Christ radically changed the life of every Christ follower. It's new life. It's like being born all over again. Believers are filled with a living hope. The resurrection grants us hope for now and into God's future. No wonder Peter begins with this blessing directed toward God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance kept in heaven for you. By God's mercy, the new life we have in Christ ushers us into this living hope And our hope is that God will grant us heaven's gifts. Beginning, already now, the promises heaven holds are already true for us. We have life now. And we have promise of life forever with God. Now we have a a small taste. Uh, But one day, we will have life with God just the way God always wanted life to be. I like how one pastor describes this life. A perfect earth. There'll be no war, evil, or suffering. There'll be rest from drudgery, shame, and poverty. Work will be part of heaven, but it will be meaningful work, joyful work. Jesus Christ's resurrection brings us this future with God beginning today. Peter says we are born into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. See, our hope for eternal life with God is secure. I like the way that that Ruth described it. She says it is certain. We can bank on it. It's funny that Peter uses that that kind of imagery. I mean, we work like crazy to pour material assets into our 401ks and our stock portfolios. We invest so that we'll have some kind of long-term financial security. Peter writes this letter here like he's addressing a group of investors. I mean, look at the imagery he uses. Words like inheritance and gold. He's writing to a a severely impoverished people, speaking of an inheritance that God has put away for us that will not perish, spoil, or fade. See, what God has in mind is not a Christmas present of socks and underwear. The gift that God has in store for us is a restored relationship with God and all of our neighbors. I mean, imagine that. Not socially distant. Physically present with others in the presence of God. God will place us not on some cloud-floating, angel-winged, harp-strumming future. No, God will place us in His renewed creation. This inheritance, what God has in store for us, is better than anything the FDIC could ensure. It's shielded by God's power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that will ensure a future for us in God's new creation. That's our living hope. It's not just wishful thinking. Hope is that deep-hearted conviction that God holds our future. 
And just as God demonstrated his trustworthiness by raising Christ from the dead, we're sure that Jesus will return with all of heaven's glory to live with us. God's gift of hope isn't our hope-so type of hope. Hope is our belief that our future with God is absolutely certain. We'll not decay in some grave. We'll have this amazing life with God that lasts forever. Someone once invited us to think about our hope for God's future like this. Think about a calendar. Uh, The page of a calendar is filled with squares to represent days. And each square is a number to tell us which day of the month we are at the moment. And we write in these squares the important things we must do. We, we know birthdays that need to be celebrated, soccer games and dinner engagements, and even some committee meetings make their way onto our calendars. Of course, we also fill our squares with things we don't write down. I mean, thousands of cups of coffee we drink, the hundreds of prayers we pray, even the conversations and gestures of help we've offered our neighbors. But regardless of how we fill each square, we can only live one square of the calendar at a time. The four lines that make up the square are the walls of time that organize our lives. And everything we do fits into a square. We can't straddle lines. But this much is true. Each square holds an invisible door. Each square is a door that leads to the next square. I get magically sucked from one square to the next. Everything that I did in the previous square is sealed there, and the next frame, the next day, gets filled up with new activities. But one day, one day I'll move into a final square. It will be the final square of my life. And on that day, the day of my death, all the squares of my life as I know it will end. There will be no more doors, no more squares filled with the stuff of this life. Now there are are two possibilities that exist for that last square. The first is that all the yesterdays simply shove me into this box with no exit. I'll enter a void, darkness, that the final square has no door of escape. But there is another possibility. The other is that there is no door because there are no walls. Instead of four lines boxing in, the frame is simply erased, and I enter a whole new dimension. The last square then isn't a death, it's entry into a new life. Christian hope says it's this second possibility that's the real one. Christian hope says that the last square is not like a closed coffin. Rather, it's like a front door into a world where all is right and free and good, just as God intended. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that's sown is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We will be changed. This is our hope. And God keeps this hope alive for us like an inheritance. And it's not subject to the fluctuations of Wall Street. It's not dependent on the value of the American dollar. This inheritance isn't susceptible to the changing whims of political favor. 
Nothing can destroy this promise of living hope. Our hope is certain. And on that day, we will enter God's future forever. That's why even now, we can rejoice. Even when life is difficult, we can rejoice. Life may not go our way, but life will always go God's way, so we have joy. We have an inheritance waiting for us. Peter says, in this, that is this living hope, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Christian hope allows us to live with joy despite suffering. Gladness rises to the surface of Christian life even amid deep pain. Let me just recall the joy you can experience at the memorial service of a Christ follower. Even in death, we can celebrate life because we follow the resurrected Jesus. It doesn't mean we're happy all the time. It means we have this deep-rooted joy flowing through our lives. Death or suffering or grief, does not have the final word. Jesus is God's final word to us. Jesus moves us to rejoice even though we suffer. Whether the person was young or old, died quietly in their sleep, or tragically from COVID-19, because they believed in the resurrection power of Jesus, there's this undercurrent of joy. Even in suffering, even when we grieve, we can be glad and, strangely enough, even grateful. Such a joy is built on our faith that Christ is present with us. Peter writes it like this. Though you have not seen Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Our hope is alive because we have the Holy Spirit that's in us to confirm it. Despite our isolation from others, we have faith that we are not alone. Christ is with us. Uh, There's this scene in a C.S. Lewis story, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Lucy and company find themselves in this spooky house of a magician. And Lucy's exploring the house in search of a special book. And eventually she finds the book. It's filled with all sorts of magic spells. And in the book, she finds one page that's blank, except for these words at the top. A spell to make invisible things visible. At first, after Lucy speaks the spell, she's not sure what she's unleashed. But then she hears the soft pad of footsteps behind her. And she turns to discover Aslan the lion. Oh, Aslan, she said, it was kind of you to come. And Aslan responds, I've been here all the time, but you have just made me visible. There's times we feel alone, times when Christ feels far away. Maybe that's a time right now that we're experiencing, uh, that we're feeling that way. But despite what we feel, it simply isn't true. Christ is with us. You may not see Christ, but Christ is here. And his resurrection hope fills you with joy. You can have this profound sense that everything's all right, even though we face trials. I mean, right now, life may be full of doubt. 
But in Christ, we have a joy that can move us beyond doubt. Right now, we have people and and experiences that disappoint us. But in Christ, we have a, a joy that surpasses all our disappointment. Right now, tragedy may strike at any moment. But in Christ, we discover the hope we have to live beyond all tragedy. The living hope we have in Christ lets us rejoice. Even though now for a little while we may suffer all kinds of trials. Friends, don't be left with a longing for something more only to reach the end of your life and discover the last square is a pine box. God offers an amazing gift of new life through Christ's resurrection. Have faith in in God's gift. In the resurrection of Jesus, God grants you hope to carry you through every kind of trial. It's a hope that will bring joy in this life. It's a hope that will bring you the inheritance that God has in store for you, a life of praise, glory, and honor forever with God in God's new creation. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for the life we have in Jesus Christ. A resurrection life. A living hope life. A life that feels like it's brand new. Actually brand new each day because you continue by your Spirit to fill us and move us so that we can be a people who have this life now in anticipation for the greatness of what it will be. Father, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.